Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, a new ADHD intervention and an FDA AHA. Uh, We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Um, and write down the secret word of that show, and then just email me just the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. You've heard it from organization experts and others. If you want to get things done, you need to keep to-do lists. If all the things you need or want to accomplish keep you up at night, you might think about spending five or ten minutes before bed writing down your list for the following day. Some people prefer to start their day by creating a list. Choose whichever works best for you. To learn more about time management and ADHD, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay, so this is an exciting show for me to do. I did an interview a couple years ago uh, with Adam Ghazali uh, about what we're going to talk about tonight in the early stages of things. Basically, there's a new intervention for ADHD, and my focus today is really this is the first digital prescription uh, that's gotten through uh, the FDA, which is really a novelty. As an ADHD coach, I don't endorse, I don't condone. This, this interview is really to kind of bring awareness to the fact that there's a, a new type of intervention for ADHD, and it's exciting. I want to hopefully educate you on the complexities that it took and realize it took a lot of um, trust, faith, confidence, and money to get it through. Hopefully, this will be something that's really new on the horizon, although I can't speak to it myself, but I think the story is worth telling and at least applauding the innovativeness of our world today and those behind this. So with that, Jan, please introduce our guest. Jeff, our guests today are Dr. Eddie Martucci and Dr. Scott Collins. Dr. Martucci is the Chief Executive Officer of the Keeley Interactive, which he co-founded in 2011 with the bold vision of challenging the status quo of medicine. For the last decade, Akili has been pioneering the development of cognitive treatments through game-changing technologies. In 2020, Akili received FDA clearance and CE mark approval in Europe for Akili's Endeavor RX in ADHD. This makes it the first and only prescription treatment delivered through a video game. 
The company is now researching its technology across several other diseases and disorders with associated cognitive impairment and is currently on path to becoming a public company via a merger with Social Capital Subretta Holdings Corp. 1. Dr. Scott Collins is Achilles' chief medical officer. He spent more than 20 years on the faculty in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Duke University School of Medicine, where he maintains an adjunct faculty appointment. He was also the co-lead for the Digital Health Solutions Initiative at the Duke Clinical Research Institute, working with more than a dozen digital health and therapeutic companies to develop clinical studies and provide scientific and regulatory guidance. He is ranked among the top 100 psychiatry faculty members in the U.S. with respect to NIH funding and served as principal investigator on more than 50 industry-funded clinical trials, including Achilles STARS ADHD trial published in the Lancet Digital Health. So, Jeff, we're very glad to have Dr. Martucci and Dr. Collins as our guests today. Eddie and Scott, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Jeff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm particularly excited about this. I, you know, being in the ADHD community for about 15 years, people with ADHD like to think that they're very creative and they think outside the box. And I've got to be honest, I'm not so sure I understand the research is there to support that. Some say it is, some say it isn't. But still... The notion to come here today and talk about the first digital prescription and the fact that typically the FDA approves either a device or a medication and we're dealing with something that's digital, it's like an FDA aha. And I want to talk about this prescription a little bit, but I want to begin with Eddie. Can you tell us about the history of of the company and how this digital prescription came to be? Sure. I'm happy to, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Um, So we founded Achille about a decade ago now. And the, the whole theory behind the company was that treatment for the brain, mental health, psychiatry, et cetera, was outdated. Mm-hmm. And it was outdated in two main ways. Um, how people experience medicine was outdated. It's essentially been exactly the same for decades. But also what we focus on and what we treat is outdated. So um, how, we, how, we, how we experience that medicine, it's essentially limited to pharmacology, which hasn't changed very long. And... Um, and behavioral therapy, which is severely limited. Um, and then what we focus on tends to be these really classical symptoms of the condition, right? So in depression, it's things like mood. In uh, ADHD, often it's the, the things that you notice, right? Someone being more hyperactive or unable to sit still. Um, when in actuality, what we believed was really a major unmet need for many, many patients in different areas was the cognitive issues. Right? I can't think straight. I can't focus. I can't process information. I'm struggling. I'm slow. Um, and so we decided to, in one fell swoop, try to address all of those things, <laughs> which was bold, um, <laughs> by, making, by making the first product that is validated like any other type of medicine, but uh, is designed to directly target the parts of the brain that control cognitive functioning and is delivered entirely digitally through a video game. Um, And so that's the quest we set out on. We found amazing science at UCSF out of the lab of Dr. Adam Ghazali, who's a well-known neuroscientist. Um, And we set out on this 10-year journey to validate it like a medicine and then to actually create the first prescribed uh, medical product that operates like a video game. We interviewed him a couple years ago when this was really being conceptualized at the time. It was kind of fascinating. What's interesting to me is he started doing the research on it and you decided, hey, there's something here or... The idea is, hey, let's go find and do some research to see if we can find something there. So which came first, the idea or, hey, we think we got something? Uh, we actually came at it from 
literally 180 degrees different with a different perspective, which is totally cool. So Adam was an established researcher, had been researching for a decade and a half on, you know, the, the weak links in cognitive processing. And based on his research, he said, wow, I think there could be something here, but I don't know how to do it. So he started with the thing that uh-huh. he found that was extremely powerful. Um, and uh, myself and a couple of co-founders started with a literally like an empty shell of a company concept. <laughs> um, we, we had a couple of different names for the company before I kill you, but we didn't have a technology. Mm-hmm. We just said, we know that there needs to be better in the brain. We believe there's enough research out there um, that should fill this void and we need to find it. And so it was almost the marriage of that. I met Adam at a conference. Um, he was presenting some of the early, earliest research on what would become NeuroRacer, which is um, the the first technology that was published in nature. And then uh, we decided over the course of, of getting to know each other that this was the technology that we should form our company on. So mm-hmm. took his technology, put it into our vessel of a, of a company um, and, and the rest is history. And then we've been able to um, really take this from, to your point, idea all the way through to market. And so Endeavor RX is, is the name of the product, which is now being prescribed for children with ADHD. So it's fascinating to me because there's other people that had this idea and have tried to use digital products and games to try to do something. I don't know how to ask this question because, one, they've done it, but they didn't have the guts to go to the FDA to do anything about it. Which came first? Did they really think they had something that was worth that or whatever? And so I think my question really is, did you guys feel like you had something that could make that happen? Or were you the first organization to listen, we're going to do this the right way and spend the money to go through and get it approved? Yeah, it's the, it's the, well, it's a little bit of the former, but mostly the latter. I mean, if you're a good scientist and I come from, I'm trained as a scientist. Um, so I come from a scientific background. If you're a good scientist, you don't know you have something until you know it, meaning you prove it through mm-hmm. really good clinical research. So I think we were probably the first company um, that said, we believe this is, has a lot of potential, but mm-hmm. the only way to really do this and really help millions of people is to actually put in the work and the time and the money to clinically validate it. Um, and, and so we were hopeful, <laughs> but <laughs> just like, just like any other early medicine concept, um, we said, we're not going to, we're not going to sell an ounce of product. We're not going to try to convince anyone to use it until we actually have done the years of clinical research so that it's a legitimate medicine. Um, and that's actually how we met, uh, Scott, uh, <laughs> at the time. I, so, yeah. If I, oh, sorry, Jeff. If, can I, can I jump yeah, in yeah, on yeah, that? Just cause I think, it, yeah, so that's exactly what I was going to say, Eddie. So, you know, I just a month ago joined uh, full-time, but have known the company for close to that full decade. Um, And I was, for many, many years, was a clinical trialist in academia, did lots of trials with medications for ADHD, um, had, was approached by lots of different companies that had interesting novel ideas and wanted to study them. But when it came to saying, all right, well, you know, doing research, it takes time and money. Usually those companies went the other way. Uh-huh. And Eddie and his team came and said, we want to do a proof of concept study. And we said, okay, this takes time and money. And they said, yeah, we know. That's, <laughs> that's why we're talking to you. Uh, so that, that's, how, that's how we started the clinical validation process. But, but I got to tell you, to have the guts to spend the money on a digital prescription that had never been approved before, those must have been some really good drugs you guys were taking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding around. I mean, that takes a lot of guts to say, I think we've got something here. And I, I want to, 
I want to talk about that a little bit, but I also think I understood from an interview years ago and actually watching Adam that the difference with this is that it's called a closed loop system or something like that. So it's actually a little bit different. So you have that, hey, we think we've got something that's different here, but you still have to have the guts to get something approved that's never been done. How did that happen? Like, how did, how did they get the money? Sure. How did you get the confidence to go where nobody's ever gone before? Well, I think you're right. It's bold. I mean, part, partly... I didn't really want to grow a company that wasn't taking a bold swing to change medicine. Like there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of ideas and very few things you can pick to, to spend your time on. And so myself and co-founders were like, we only want to do things that are big swing. But I think one of the reasons we, we were confident and bold enough to do it is because we started with what we felt was the strongest science that we had seen. The neuroscience here had been already studied for a decade. The intricacy of exactly how this technology impacted the brain, it was patented um, or, or rather we helped patent it, but there were, it was uh, patentable. It was unique. It was based on a, a whole lot of um, sophisticated neuroscience that we had <laughs> higher confidence this was actually going to target the brain. The reason I think that 90% of um, you know, new digital companies don't have the guts to go and invest in this is because the truth is they probably don't believe in the product. Uh -huh. uh, maybe that's half the time. The other half the time, you're right. It's really, really hard to just raise money. But um, we started with the strong science. We believed in it. We felt like if anything was going to have a shot, this would have a shot because it was the best science we'd seen. Um, and the way we went about doing that is uh, getting the money and, and funding it is um, we build this a lot more like a biotech company. And so um, whereas a lot of companies will build as like a lean startup, um, which has its benefits as well. Um, but that tends to preference, like putting a product on the market. Um, I believe with, I, I believe in some of the tenets of the lean startup, like, you know, failing fast and iterating, but when it comes to medicine, can't put a medicine product on the market until, you know, it works. So, um, so we built more like a biotech. We got sophisticated investors who understood the big long-term vision. Um, and we just had the fortitude to stick yep. with it. Okay. Tell you what, when you go to break, come back, I want to talk about the approval process of the FDA. Before we go, our secret word tonight is FDA. And to learn more about EndeavorX, go to E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-R-X.com. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by gigcoaching.com. And now back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back. We're here with... Uh... Eddie and Scott having a conversation about the first digital description. Before the break, we talked about the evolution of the technology and the, having the guts to actually, hey, let's go through the uh, scrutiny process. Um, so you guys 
You, you, how do you approach the FDA on something that's digital that's never been done before? And what is that process like? I mean, my first time I heard about this, I think, was in 90, or 2017 or 2018 or something like that. And it was just approved, uh, what, like, like several months, like a year ago? Is that right? 2020, June okay. of 2020. So tell us about that, that, having the guts to do that, the process, and actually getting it through. Yeah, uh, well, so similar to what I mentioned before about, you know, us being uh, seated in an academic center running clinical trials, one of, the, one of the things that we kind of knew how to do and had expertise was taking uh, a product that had been studied with clinical trials and working with a company to kind of shepherd through the process as, as the, you know, as the scientific arm of the F, for, for FDA approval. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the challenge and the difference in this case, as you've pointed out a few times, Jeff, is that this was, um, this was uncharted territory. <laughs> Not only was it uncharted territory for the company, it was uncharted territory for us as the, as the sort of the clinical research arm, but it was also un, mostly uncharted territory for the FDA. So um, it, was a, it was a process, and it was a learning process, I think, uh, from all parties. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, – there's a lot of back and forth uh, in, in, in an iterative process, discussions with the agency, um, you know, uh, it, but, but I think that to, to Eddie's point before, it started in, in a pretty routine way of, you know, like what you you would do for any new treatment, you reach out to the FDA and you say, well, hey, we want to design a study because we have a product we want to get to market. And you discuss that. You sort of, um, you agree upon or you get feedback mm-hmm. on a design of a study that, you know, if it's successful, will then lead to, you know, your ability to, to get it out on the market. So we started there. Um, you know, and then it takes, uh, you know, that process itself takes, what, probably six months or so, six to eight months then, then you have to actually run the studies, which is several years. Then you get the study results and you go back to the agency. Um, and in this particular case, uh, th- this is where I think the, the newness and the novelty of the product came in. Uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't over there. So there was a lot of continued discussion and discussion about um, you know, what other kinds of data could be used to help support the kinds of things that we wanted to do with the product in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can imagine that the the FDA. This is very very new, right? Yeah. They and they have to think really hard about: Do we want to put a video game treatment, the first <laughs> ever in any disease, on the market? So there was a lot of education, there was a lot of scrutiny, there was a lot of you know, I think healthy skepticism that we had to just bring a ton of data to. There's there is a myth out there that with digital products, for some reason, uh, because it's a medical device, FDA only looks at safety. And so they let anything on the market that's safe. That could not be farther from the truth. This is like literally almost a couple of years of talking about efficacy data and every ounce of our data. So it's uh, yeah, the scrutiny. I can tell you, sorry, Eddie. Just having sat in a number of meetings with other products and other companies in my role in in uh, in academia, the scrutiny around efficacy was every bit as much, if not a, a reasonable amount more than any other, you know, product that I'd been, that I'd had experience with. I, I remember um, years ago, I swam competitively at Indiana for Doc Councilman, who was probably the greatest swim coach of every time. And he would, every once in a while, he'd be arguing, he'd say, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. 
and I'm, you're, you're approaching the FDA, right? And they've got, hey, right, the mentality, like, no, no, this can't be right. Don't confuse me with the fact that it's not made. They have to overcome that argument. To me, it's like, right. it's, it's, like it's a amazing thing. Whether it's any good or not, just the fact that you guys pulled that one off is really kind of amazing to me. Yeah. So it, it does sound like you had to go through an extra level of scrutiny because it had never been done before. Yeah. No, it's true, Jeff. I'm laughing. I think I think you you just triggered like uh, mutual flashbacks in <laughs> Eddie and I's minds about uh, some of the, some of the meetings. But um, it was uh, yeah, it was it was rigorous. And I think I mean in, to, to to the to the credit of the agency, I mean like what Eddie said, you know, they have to think about they're going to put a you know a stamp of approval on a video game, yes. and and so they you know they want to be above reproach in terms of the rigor with which they're going to take a look at that. Absolutely. So you have the hypothesis, you go through the trials, you hope it works, the data comes back, you send it to the FDA, and they approve it. Wow. I want to get to the approval process and, and that, but let's just talk about the trials. My understanding, what makes this different is there's other computer games, because the issue is, do they help focus or do you learn the game? But what I understand about this technology, it's kind of closed loop, so your interaction changes the game while you're doing it. And I'm, I'm going to guess, fundamentally, there's that concept of neuroplasticity is at the base of this. Is that right? And if so, can you talk to about, us about that and talk about what you found in the trials? Yeah. Hey, you want to... Sure. Um, the, uh, there are two big things that I think are unique about this technology, and, and our tech, the engine is called SSME, Selective Stimulus Management Engine, which is really our engine that powers EndeavorRx and some of the other products we have uh, in development. And what's different about it is, is one, the closed loop that you mentioned. So every single second, it is measuring and adapting to each user. So within a few seconds or minutes, every single user is getting a customized difficulty experience. And then every minute or frankly every two seconds of the experience it is personalizing a difficulty ramp for mm -hmm. that person so it's almost like the analogy i use a lot is imagine you wanted to go from being able to run one mile to you know running a marathon but there was a treadmill that always knew exactly where you were at your breaking point and it was ever so subtly pulling the treadmill up and down right when you you know if you had a bad day it was making it a little easier but it's pushing you a little you're having a great day was pushing you even more that's what this product does but neurologically so that's the algorithms that we built and patented but also at the basic science level um, this was uh, using a unique multi-sensory input so sensory things on the screen and a motor input that uh, very uniquely activates the prefrontal cortex the part of the brain controlling attention and that is also patented so there are really two big things about the technology that um, that we haven't seen in any other technologies and that's that's what we've developed to um, and had the confidence that this would work, whereas most other technologies probably wouldn't. The, the entire, I'll let Scott speak to the trials, but the entire um, issue in this field of digital technologies for the brain is that there's a whole lot of stuff out there that you can find and almost every single bit of it that has ever been studied, which is only a fraction, right? Most things aren't even studied. The vast majority of things that are studied don't ever transfer to actual outcomes that matter they basically just make you better at the game this product was designed to actually target the brain in a way that um, it can give you that skill in in life and, and other outcomes most people are going to like this is go way over your head but if you're an athlete right and you train like one as a swimmer one of the things we do is you have different energy systems you have your anaerobic and aerobic energy system and you begin to train so that you push your anaerobic threshold higher basically think of anaerobic as more sprinting and aerobic more distance 
And as an athlete, you try to get up there where you can maintain just under your anaerobic threshold and then go over it because you start because your your switching energy system it becomes depleted and then you're able to come back down and kind of recover from it as a means to kind of go forward and I'm just using that a, a analogy for the athletes that understand what I'm saying because I'm hearing the game is kind of pushing you to that limit back and forth yeah, and, really. and and exercising the energy system or the mental complexities of the parts of the brain that are being targeted is that a fair analogy to kind of help put that in context. I think so, but Scott's actually a swimmer, so why don't you comment, Scott? Well, I, I actually, yeah, I think it's spot on. A swimmer and, a, and more, more of a cyclist, which is that you know, yep. training that those that information is a little bit more readily accessible. So I think, yeah, that, we'll have to we got to remember that uh, <laughs> that analogy, Jeff. That's a good one. I didn't know you swam. I, yeah, I didn't swim in college, but okay, I, all right, I, right, yeah, yeah, so, now. All right, so back on track, so. Um, we've got this target. We're, we're in the clinical trials. The, they're, they're doing this. Does the game target different parts of the brain and different things at different times? And and what are the outcomes that you saw from the clinical trials? Yeah. So I'll, I'll uh, I can talk a, a lot about the trials. So the, I mean the the game is targeting uh, m- sort of two two distinct processes at the same time. So it, it, it's also teaching the brain systems and the kids, you know, how to multitask with two, with two different kinds of activities. Um, but the way that the trials were designed is, in, and this goes back to our discussion too about the, you know, sort of the iterative process with the FDA. We knew from the start that this treatment, uh, we knew how it worked, and we knew that the, kind, the kinds of outcomes that were, that were going to be useful to measure and, used, you know, kind of to hang our hat on as the things that we expect the most change on. Um, and so we selected a primary outcome measure. So we did we did two studies. I'll talk about the first one first. I'll, I'll do this briefly. But the first study was the you know, the a randomized controlled trial, very traditional, two arm study. One group got the treatment. One group got a control condition. Um, and in that study, we wanted to measure what we thought the treatment was going to have the best effect on, which is attention. Mm-hmm. So we picked the TOVA, which is a a, 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 in itself an FDA-approved measure of attention for kids with ADHD, and we looked at improvement there, and, and we saw a, a, a pretty whopping effect. That was one of the things that we've, you know, both with the FDA and, frankly, just subsequently have had to do a lot of education around because every clinical trial of medication that's out there has used a symptom rating scale. To, mm-hmm. as, a, as a primary outcome measure. And we knew we, we, didn't, we didn't really expect, we measured that and we didn't get very strong effects, especially on the hyperactive uh, impulsive symptoms. We did see some change in the inattention symptoms, um, but we didn't expect to. But that's, that's a hard concept for both the FDA and, and clinicians to get their heads around when they're used to seeing all of the research done in drugs. But impo- really, really importantly, and we, we, we knew this going in and we have this discussion very early on at that meeting where we said, Hey, here's the design of the study that we want to measure, because we knew that independent of the just the attention as measured by the TOVA, this is going to have a positive impact on on impairment. So we wanted to pick a measure of day-to-day functioning and impairment that we thought we'd have a good chance of seeing if there was a treatment effect. So we used the impairment rating scale, which is commonly used in other studies, um, to measure sort of individualized impairment. So for each patient. Where does, the, where does their attentional functioning kind of impact their day-to-day functioning? And on both of those, so on the, on the TOVA as our primary outcome and as on, on this impairment rating scale as a secondary, um, we saw positive results compared to the control condition. 
One other important thing about the control condition too, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. This is a, um, a really hot topic in broadly in the area of digital therapeutics because you can't, you can't blind a digital treatment of any sort in the same way that you can blind a drug. So you've got to figure out how, you've got to think instead of thinking about placebo and blinding, you've got to think about how do you minimize the bias that might be introduced wow. to somebody that's getting the treatment that that's not the or that's getting yep. a treatment that's not active. Wow. So there was a whole process complicated. Wow. For, for how we developed that and how we implemented it. But one of the things that was important that we that that um, that that Eddie and team did before we landed on which uh, which control condition to use, and we used basically a a digital version of Boggle. It's a spelling game that the kids use. The color schemes are the same. The exposure was the same. But um, they did some market research to, to, to find out from parents, hey, what do you think about this, this, you know, this kind of, a, of an intervention versus the actual treatment? And what they found was a lot of parents said, yeah, this, this could possibly have an effect. So we, we could then control for the expectation of benefit in that control condition. Wow, okay. So real quick, on the, on the, so, so positive results there, that was great. But randomized controlled trials – they're very, very powerful, robust study designs to get a, a signal yep. of efficacy. It doesn't tell you as much about what's going to happen in the, the routine patients that are, you know, that are coming into my clinic. So our second study was really designed to focus a little bit more on that. So we, um, it was a single-arm study, so we didn't have a control group because we'd already gotten our, our you know, efficacy mm -hmm. uh, results in the first study. In the first study, you couldn't be on medication. So you had to, if you were on, you had to wash out. Uh -huh. In the second study, we said, come on, if you're on medicine, that's fine. And then instead of just 28 days, which is what the duration of the first study was, we said, well, you know, that's not very long. So we treat kids for 28 days in the second study, took a break for 28 days, and then did another 28 days of treatment. And we wanted to see what the durability was. Mm -hmm. And then in that study, because we, you know, we already demonstrated that this works for attention, we really wanted to focus on the impairment outcomes. And, and what we found is it, is it improved impairment, uh, at, it, and it actually, in that study, it improved um, parent-reported symptoms on the ADHD rating scale. It improved for, you know, from mm -hmm. baseline to the first 28 days, kind of leveled off, but then in the next course of treatment, we saw continued improvement. So those two things combined, sort of the, the powerful RCT design yep. combined with a design that sort of is a little bit more like what you would see in the real world, those, those really form the basis for us to go to the FDA. And again, to say it, the, the trials and the, 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 this had to be compelling enough for them to say, hey, there's a difference here in order to get the approval for, for prescription. Okay. Just a few technical questions before we go to break and, and continue the topic. Is this something that you do for a period of time and stop, or is this something you have to do on a regular basis for, for a period of time? Like medications, you know, they'll take care of the day, but it's going to be a longer duration. Yeah. So what we know from our studies is that uh, two months of treatment, you, we continue to show improvements. Okay. That, that, that's what we can say, you know, confidently based on the data. We're very excited to, to continue to understand where the, you know, how far you can go in terms of improvement over time. We think that there's a, a reasonable chance that continued exposure will result in continued improvement, but we haven't, we haven't validated that. Okay. We're in the process now with the product on the market of collecting data from the real world from patients who are actually using the product so we can start to answer questions like that. 
And I think that's yeah, important. And very very yeah. much like medication, Jeff, sorry, very much like medication, which is not validated for every single use case. It's validated for, you know, a month or two months, and then it can be repeated by docs. Uh, EndeavorX can be refilled. Um, and and we view it as a ongoing episodic treatment, but like Scott said, it doesn't have to be chronic, meaning all the time. And that's yeah. actually really cool and a differentiator. One other quick thing, Jeff, if, if I could, before yeah. we go to break. So one other important thing, Eddie, you reminded me, if you look at that from the at the data from that second study, we get improvement, but then when treatment stops, it doesn't bounce back up to baseline. It levels off, and that's that that that's different from what mm -hmm. you might see in other you know treatments for ADHD. Absolutely. Um, I want to go to break and come back and continue the conversation, but I want to pause here for a second and and at least for our listeners to recognize the complexities of what had to take place in order for you to do the styles, to do the placebo because that's there, to make the measurements, to spend the money, to go through this. As it, it, Again, I think it takes a lot of guts and a lot of confidence in order to make this happen, which is there's a lot of other things that you can do where you can run some stuff and say, hey, this benefits and, get, and, and take the money and kind of get out of it. And so I applaud at least the effort because it's the first one and certainly rewarded. So we're going to continue the conversation to learn more about this, go to E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-R-X.com. Our secret word tonight is FDA. With that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? <laughs> Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation with um, Scott Nevy over a new digital prescription. We've been talking about how it came about, getting it through the FDA, the trial process. A few things I want to talk about before we kind of get into the actual prescription process, because I think this is kind of funny. Uh, actually, funny. It's just interesting to think about this. But... Um, this particular digital prescription, how is it, in the, and, and you probably can't totally answer this, but in relationship to medications or other type of interventions, coaching, uh, CBT, et cetera, how does it fare? Is it, is it intended to be a supplement, a, a freestanding? How does that play out? Yeah, so we, we were really intentional, um, and we, uh, in these two studies that Scott has discussed, we studied EndeavorRx alone as a monotherapy, and we studied it in conjunction with uh, stimulant medication, things like Ritalin and Adderall. Um, and what was pretty awesome is the magnitude of benefit was almost identical in both of those paradigms. So we actually have in our FDA label um, all of those studies, and it's labeled to be used as a 
um, as a treatment to be used as part of a treatment program, which might include medication or might include behavioral therapy or might include education. So it's not meant to, you know, take and, and no one should use this, like do this instead of going to your doctor and you're set for life. Yep. It's supposed to be used as part of a treatment program. But um, we see uh, we see some patients using it along with medication. There are a lot of patients who can't tolerate medication mm-hmm. or um, are strongly averse to medication. And so they can add this to the rest of their behavioral medical program um, as a core treatment. So it's very flexible, um, which is awesome, because when I started this company, what I really wanted to introduce is not like a very niche product. I really was excited about introducing a new pillar of medicine that docs can use in many different ways. So I think the flexibility is a really important aspect of this type of digital treatment. And the trials were done predominantly on um, under 20, right? Or were, were part yeah, of the trials? It was all, it was all uh, eight to 12 year olds. Okay. Got it. And if I'm yeah. not mistaken, you're looking to extend that right now, right? We are. We actually just had a, a, a news that we announced uh, yesterday about the top line results from a study with 13 to 17 year olds, which were, were very positive. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Now you got the approval, <laughs> but you got to get this out there as a biotech company. The, the distribution of this is just interesting to me because normally you have people calling, you know, physicians or whatever and tout medications or, you know, whatever it is. And there's this, this, this traditional type thing, but this is the digital prescription. So do I just walk into the doctor's office and he gives it to me? Do I have to go to the pharmacy? Like, how does that all work? I mean, it's just kind of funny to me. Like, how does it get, how does it get fulfilled? We're still building the process and, and it's actually, uh, it can be done in a couple different ways today. Um, we Again, flexibility is a big deal for us. Um, we spent, I mean, like Scott said, it was about two years ago that the FDA uh, authorized this for the first time. Um, we spent the better part of that time actually building the infrastructure because the way you just reacted, that's exactly the point <laughs> is when, when this was uh, allowed to be prescribed, how can that happen? Like, you, do you go to CVS? What do you do? There is no infrastructure for this. So, um, our vision is that this is as or actually more seamless than traditional prescriptions. Um, and so actually for a subset of our patients today, um, the ideal experience is actually happening um, where this product, we do have actually a code for it that fits along with drugs. It's a drug-like code and therefore it's in the EHR in a doctor's office, meaning the electronic health record. Uh-huh. So they click, when they click to prescribe something, Endeavor RX shows up right there with, you know, other medications. Doc can click it, order it right on the spot, and uh, patients are actually getting text messages on their phone from our partner pharmacy, which is a virtual pharmacy. So the whole pharmacy aspect is on your phone. So for these patients, Doc's writing a prescription, you know, in the kind of more expedited online way. Patients going home, they have a text, they've enrolled, and then we're doing the insurance benefit check. Uh, The product itself is a download from the app store, but it can't be activated until you get an encrypted code. Right. Uh, right. But you never have to go to a pharmacy. You do all this on your phone. Now, that's the ideal way. But as we know, the medical system is not <laughs> ideal all the time, and there's a lot of friction. So not everywhere has uh, electronic health records integrated. Uh, not everywhere that does has gotten our product into it yet. So um, there are some old school ways. There's, you know, phone and fax and <laughs> and whatnot uh-huh. from uh from uh, our, our, to our partner pharmacy. Um, but all of that is on EndeavorRx.com. We also have, um, and this is really unfortunate thing in today's world, how uh, for some patients across this country, obviously um, they either don't have a doctor that they go to regularly or they try to get an appointment and, and it can be months, right? Sometimes there's a backlog. 
Um, and so we do actually have, uh, we've partnered with a telemedicine company. And so through our website, if okay. someone wants to have a consult with a doctor, they can do that as well. So we've, we've invested a lot to try to build a lot of different avenues here for patients. Got it. Okay. Now let's get to the hard stuff. So I got out of college, got my first job with Aetna. So I sold group health insurance for a period of time. I was back in the days of the old indemnity plans, deductible co-insurance. And I remember walking in with a pre-cert number in New York City to get this guy's <laughs> renewal down. He said, that's, that's communism. I'm not going to whatever. And then PPOs and everything kind of came up. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that like tongue-in-cheek because on the insurance side, they're very skeptical about anything in terms of reimbursement. You walk in with a digital prescription. What, there's things that are approved by the FDA, but they're still like you, you got to get it by them. Now you got to get it by the insurance company. Where are we on that? It seems to me they're like, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up right now. But are you, has that been done, or are you making some headway on that? Um, we're making headway. It's slow and steady. So um, it's not zero. <laughs> There's about, <laughs> about 5% of our patients that are getting prescriptions today are having insurance cover in some form, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously, I'm not very pleased by that. I want 100% of our patients um, to be covered, just like most other medications. So um, we're working on it. You're right. It's new. I mean, this is this is largely an inertia problem, I believe, with the insurance industry, where um, this is a this is something very new. And for new things in the insurance world, it means it takes work to figure out. Um, also, this is you know we we have to fit into the incentive structure uh, of the of the insurance mm-hmm. world as well. So it takes a lot of education. I think historically. Um, Historically, I would say over the last couple of years that um, insurers just weren't educated, um, which is not anyone's fault. It's really on us companies to and to educate insurance companies. But there's now, I think, eight or nine prescription digital treatments out there. Um, we're obviously one of the first, but there are now eight or nine uh, insurers now know about these things. And so now I think yeah. we're going to start to yeah. see insurers really step up. And you've seen you've seen a lot of insurers not. Um, as tends to be the case, but you're starting to see the really innovative insurers that put patients first that say it's the right thing to do. These are safe, effective treatments. Um, they're starting to step up. So the biggest one was in uh, the fourth quarter last year in 2022, Highmark, which is the fourth largest blues plan, um, basically created a medical policy for um, prescription digital therapeutics, including Endeavor RX, um, which is awesome because it means they, they put it right there. It's medically necessary. It's on their it's on their docket, um, and I think you'll see others follow suit. We've also seen it covered in some of these instances as uh, drug benefit. So yep. um, it will happen, but um, it's gonna it's gonna take a time and b um, some folks at these companies willing to push through the inertia and do the right thing for patients. Yeah, well, you got to get to them. You got to get through the actuaries. Then you got to get to all the people in self-funded plans to kind of buy in. So I, <laughs> exactly. I know I, I know the fight that's ahead of you. You guys are doing great. Um, Another question is, okay, so somebody's interested in that, you know, you got to educate the, the, the field. And I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people not aware of that. So you walk into your doctor's office and say, hey, can I get one of those digital prescriptions? He's like, what? So there's an education there. And then there's, a, well, how do I actually prescribe it? So it seems to me that there's a little bit of, you walk in, if, if, if you want to explore this with your doctor, you would go in is there a place they can send them for resources? Because I got to believe some doctors are skeptical of this. Is it really a prescription? If so, what do I do? How can they handle that? Yeah, I mean, so the, in part, Jeff, that's part of the reason. I, and I want to I want to back up for just a second on the on the question about coverage, just because that that's that's in part one of the reasons that I 
wanted to join the company. I've been doing research in this field for a very long time, and I've seen the the development and approval of a lot of products. Um, and I've but I've also seen the the reality of how outcomes for kids with ADHD haven't changed mm-hmm. in decades, mm-hmm. and uh, and the and the limitations of current uh, existing products that are out there. So that so for me, having an FDA approved product. That, that has gone through all the hoops that you, that you thank you for <laughs> acknowledging and recognizing what that means. Um, and to not, and to have that limited from being able to be given to a kid because of an insurance company doesn't yep. seem like a good decision. So I'm, I'm a, I'm very passionate about that. Um, and then, as you said, you know, I think a huge part of this is education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the company has been, I think uh, for a long time, a leader in the broad area of digital therapeutics. Um, one of my remits coming in uh, with, with a team is to, is to really think about how we can uh, provide that kind of really credible, important information that providers are going to need uh, to make good decisions about the care of their patients. I got to tell you, as we've talked about this, I'm becoming more overwhelmed about the challenges that you guys had of that because I'm, I'm listening to the challenges of the FDA, I'm listening to the challenges of the insurance companies. And the, also, the, the challenge seems to me that if you're going to do this, the game has got to be interestingly enough for somebody to do it, because if it's not, they're not going to do it. But if it's too interesting, and, and I might be out of turn, but there's, I, I'm dealing a lot with digital addictions since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be sticky enough to get your attention, but not too sticky that you can't get off the thing that's going to create a, a problem. And, and understanding that fine line, it's, it's just blowing my mind how difficult this was and that you guys actually had the guts to try it and to actually get through at this point in time. I mean, it is, I mean, my, this is, this was really, really complicated. <laughs> yeah. We often say it's funny. Um, we often say we have to be a great medicine company and a great tech company. <laughs> and it's, it's really hard to be either one of those. Yep. Um, so, I mean, everyone who's at Achille, everyone that, you know, we, we partner with outside Achille. Um, one of the big things we look for is, do you have, you know, guts? Do you have fortitude? Do you want to make bold decisions? Cause um, it's not for the faint of heart to create something brand new like this. Yeah, and on your point, Jeff, the, you know, that we thought a lot about where a digital video game-based intervention fits into a world where there's a lot of concerns about, mm-hmm. you know, overexposure. Um, that's part of our education mission is to help people understand where this fits in versus other forms of, of, uh, of media. Um, and the, the, the treatment itself, you can't you, you you get locked out on a certain day after after your 25 minutes of play, so you okay. can't you can't stick with it. <laughs> wow, is there anything else that we haven't covered? We're kind of running out of time, but any last nuggets that we didn't cover? I think the one the one piece is that you know we're obviously talking here about a product that is currently labeled and marketed for children with ADHD. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that. Uh, these cognitive issues, these have risen in society in all conditions, right? So essentially everything that touches the brain, you will now hear, you know, cognitive dysfunction in condition X or cognitive impairments in condition Y. We already have actually randomized controlled data that our technology has shown positive benefits in adults with depression and adults with MS and lupus. So um, 
I think what we're really excited about is we are hyper, hyper focused on helping millions of families who have children with ADHD today and, and hopefully soon adolescents. But I really think the vision where this can go is uh, digital treatments for mental and cognitive health for many, many different populations. So what keeps us going, you've talked a lot about guts. What keeps us going is the patients right in front of us, like the patients today who are using this product and it happens to be kids with ADHD. And so they're able to now, they're starting to conquer school and social relationships and other things. That's amazingly motivating. And then we look down the road and our hope is that we can bring this same paradigm to, you know, adults, teens, uh, people with a lot of other um, things that they struggle with in mental and psychiatric health. Um, and there's just, there's literally just millions and millions of people that don't really have options for this today. Mm-hmm. So um, this goes beyond any one condition and really attention, attention issues. Um, it transcends any one diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, this is something that has become super prevalent in our society. So I have to say that this is relatively early. I've never done a show like this before. Um, I don't, and this is not an endorsement of this in any stretch of the form. However, as Scott had said, you know, the treatment of ADHD and the outcomes really haven't changed for decades. And so the idea is we've got something that's different. Somebody finally had the guts to stand up and put some money into it and go through the complexities that believed enough that something was there. That's worth acknowledging to begin with. That's number one. And number two, hopefully we're going to start to get some different outcomes than what we've seen in the last couple of decades and kind of move this thing forward. So with that, gentlemen, I, I so much appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks very much. Great conversation. To learn more, go to E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-R-X.com. Um, if, you're, if you're talking about this, go talk to your doctors. If you want to explore this, they're probably going to look at you like you got two heads at first, but they're educating. Just be patient with that. Uh, our secret word tonight is FDA, and we hope you've enjoyed our show. Take care.